the financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Hey, Paul, how you doing today? Hope all's going well. Uh, doing well. Uh, fantastic. Um, let's see what's been going on. So I, I think I've been making a mistake for the past <laughs> two years. Um, I didn't check my mobile plan. So for those out there who are listening, do as we say, not as I do. Um, I, I took a closer look at my mobile phone plan because I keep getting bursting o- overages from my households, particularly my, my daughter, uh, she keeps bursting over the plan. And I was paying for like these little bits every month. I'd get hit with another $15, $15, $15. And it was getting to be kind of crazy. Uh, so I finally took a closer look at the mobile phone plan. And I didn't realize that um, it would be just a little bit more money just to go unlimited um, as opposed to what I had in place. So that was sort of a lesson learned. So we fixed that glitch. Uh, hopefully my mobile plan billing will, will smooth out somewhat. Uh, but that was a lesson learned on my side to uh, check my mobile phone plan from time to time, especially if uh, I'm seeing those bursts or overages. If anyone sees those out there, you might want to see if you can get a better handle on the plan, even with your current carrier. Um, so Paul, what's been happening with you? Yeah, that, that's great advice. I, uh, I did something similar years ago with an unlimited plan. Very, very helpful. For me, I was... Um... Looking at my 401k with my current employer and want to see if I can move that out or what of that I can move out to maybe a self-directed plan, uh, personal preference, something I want to see. So I called them up and I was very surprised uh, at the what you're allowed to take out. So they told me I could take out what the company contributed because I am fully vested. So I'm like, that's kind of weird. I would think I'd be able to take out what I contributed. So I think I have to call back and, and see what I'm allowed to take out. It, it's kind of interesting. Um, just trying down a different path, see what I can do. And uh, sometimes I like self-directed a little bit more, personal preference. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I've been a big fan of, of converting whenever I leave a company, moving the 401k money into an IRA. Um, and that's always worked out well. I was I didn't think there was any... Um, any provision to move any money out of a 401k. So that's interesting. I'd love to hear more about it. I, I, I guess I didn't realize you could at least move out the 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 money that they give you. Um, that's interesting. I, I could see where you're, I, I would be confused as well. I had thought you couldn't move any of it. But so, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that when you uh, dig into yeah, that I'm further. Yeah, a new episode here, Paul. New episode coming. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's one of the, yeah, I mean, I want to go deep into the rabbit hole, but that was one of those things um, my financial superhero told me a long time ago uh, was, yeah, whenever you leave a place, definitely move that stuff uh, too sweet into a self-directed IRA. Just move it over as fast as you can because you get more options in that plan uh, than you would um, otherwise. So um, I did. I do that, too. But this is why I'm there. So it's a, it's a little different spin on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good luck with that. And we're, I'm curious to hear more about it. That'll be interesting to hear 
how that comes out. And maybe we'll have to do a full episode on that at some point. So cool, cool. Well, today's podcast is Charitable Giving and Financial Planning with Marianne Keith. We're going to talk to her about all things related to this topic. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Okay, Paul, this news story is from The Ascent, uh, Motley Full Service. Can I afford to live like last year? Um, I guess this is timely, the way inflation's been going. They said, you know, CPI reported inflation rate of 8.6. And we're seeing um, market price increases across the board for almost everything. And uh, they're talking about surging prices and how do we how do we get by under these conditions and, and stuff like that. So it was a short article. I think what I took away from it was um, was all about the budget, right? So there's nothing, at least from my vantage point, there's nothing we could do about the inflation right? other than live within it. It's something we're just going to have to live with, and it's going to be about the budget, right? So moving money from one part to another and just keeping a tight handle on it. Um, Paul, what was your take on the story? Yeah, so um, so sort of very similar there. There are little things you can do within it, you know, maybe going for the store brand versus the name brand of a product. That That's one way to certainly save some dollars on that. Uh, if you're going out to, and doing lots of errands all the time, if you can kind of route plan and make the trip more efficient, uh, you can minimize some fuel usage there, things like that. And also makes better use of your time. I, I guess my one comment, I saw a quote online recently, which I thought was pretty neat. And what was it? It was around um, frugal versus cheap. Frugal versus cheap. So a frugal person may not go out to dinner four days a week. A cheap person won't leave a tip. Don't be the cheap person, right? So I, I thought that was a neat way to finally differentiate in my mind the difference between the two. I kind of yeah, like that's that one. That's interesting. That's a good one. And I think one of the things that kind of came to mind is one of the things we do in our household is I hate to go food shopping more than once a week. So one of the things we do in the household is we have a little clipboard with a pad near the fridge. And the rules in the house are if it doesn't get put on the list, it won't get bought for that week. Right. So we, we typically do all the shopping on a Sunday, uh, but we, we, we have this defined list and defined menu. And we've talked about this in the past. I think we go back to the shopping episode way back, way back when we talk about all these things. But um, I hate to go. You know, you were talking about wasting gas. I hate going to the store more than once a week. So um, I try to get everything in one fell swoop and not revisit, not just from a cost perspective, but from a time perspective. It's a big time suck to have to go back and forth to the store. At least that's what I find. So cool, cool. Well, with that, uh, we'd like to now welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Marianne Keith. She is a financial advisor uh, with a specialty working with single, divorced, and widowed women, specializing in holistic financial planning. She has extensive uh, expertise in Social Security and Medicare uh, planning as, as it pertains to the financials. And she has many secrets to share on a lot of these different topics. And we've had her on in the past. But today, like we talked about, we're going to talk a bit about charitable giving and financial planning. So, Marianne, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's great to be yeah, here. Yeah, this is awesome. So what's been happening what's, uh, since we've had you on last? I, I, anything exciting going on? How's the job? How's life? Just want to hear a little bit about uh, an update from you, and then we'll jump into some of the questions. 
Sure, life is good and just, you know, been navigating what you've just been discussing, inflation, navigating that with my clients, having some similar conversations, taking a look at whether or not um, with the inflation paired with the market conditions, if it makes sense for some folks to possibly delay retirement. So interesting times. Yeah, it, it is very interesting, all this um I think we've talked about it a number of times, right, is this delayed retirement. Um, Paul, we've talked about this. I know we have a number of friends that they want to retire in their 50s. I have no delusion that, that I'll be able to do that. But we do have a lot of <laughs> friends that want to retire in their 50s. And it's interesting. I wonder if, if we revisit some of those friends now, is that still their target state? Um, so I don't know. Are you finding a lot of people, Marianne, are uh, putting off the retirement at this point? Some people are thinking about it. Um, no, no real decisions, but some people are just thinking about it. And, you know, we, we have great cash flow projection software and we can just tinker around and show them what it looks like and hope that at the end of the day, we're going to arrive at the best decision for them. Oh, Very cool. So um, let's get into our topic. How about that? Right. So we're, we're talking about, uh, charitable gift giving and things like that. And, you know, I guess why should I, or, you know, gift highly appreciated securities or cash or, or such sort of securities to, to a charity. Sure. So, so Paul and Paul, nothing pains me more when I see a client give cash to their charitable cause when they've got the highly appreciated stock. And, and the reason for that is, you know, something that a lot of people just may not know, they may not have spoken with their financial advisor or their CPA about it. But when you give a highly appreciated security to a charity, then nobody ends up paying the game. So let's just use an example. Let's just start with you give cash. So you give cash to a charity. That's great. You can still deduct that against your adjusted gross income. And um, if you decide to give a highly appreciated security, let's just use an example. You've got $1,000 worth of stock. You paid $100 for that stock way back when. You've held on to that stock, and now it's worth $1,000. So if you sold that stock to give the $1,000 to charity, you'd be on the hook for $900 in realized capital gains. So that either means you give less to the charity or you're just gonna be paying taxes on top of what you're giving to, to charity. So if you take that stock and give the stock directly to the charity and then the charity sells the stock, they don't have to pay the gains you don't have to pay the gains. And if you really wanna still continue to own that stock, you could just take your cash and buy it back at a higher basis. That's very interesting. And Marianne, what, what types of securities are we talking about? I, I know you mentioned stocks, but does that apply to mutual funds or, or other types of investments other than, than stock? That's a, that's a really great question. So um, stocks are most popular that I see for gifts. A lot of people also gift ETFs. Um, mutual funds in most circumstances can be gifted, but you always have to check with your charity because sometimes if you've got sort of a non-standard share class, it's possible that 
you know, your um, college, university, churches, or causes brokerage account might not accept it. So if you're gifting a mutual fund, definitely make some phone calls in advance to make sure it can be accepted. Yeah, that, that's good to know. And and one of the things I love doing these episodes. Um, everyone knows I think we do pre we do show notes and and we worked collaboratively on this, Marianne. You brought this topic to our attention. I, I found myself getting up early this morning, and I started researching all these acronyms that you had put forth, right? So DAF and QCDs and stuff like that. So I didn't even realize this world existed. So thank you for opening that up to us. Um, one of the things, I guess, when I was looking at DAF, which I guess is donor advised fund, you mentioned there was the difference between giving securities directly to charity versus the donor advised fund. And my second question to that is if you have a charity in mind, like I have one that I'm that's close to my heart, um, can you route the monies directly from the DAF to that charity? That was a little bit ambiguous to me. I, I couldn't make that out. So maybe you could talk to us about DAF and, and how to route the money and how all that works. Sure, sure. So the donor advised funds, the DAF, I'm glad we're just diving into the alphabet soup and making sure we clarify what these acronyms are. But the way a DAF works is you can um, – give the DAF as much securities or cash as you want. Um, you could just give them what you're going to use for the year. You could um, sort of front year forward average many years of, of gifts and you put them in this account. And what happens is you take the deduction in the year that you fund the DAF. So if you're putting five years of charitable giving you're going to take that deduction in one year. And um, once you get set up with your DAF, they're all a little bit different, but the kind of common theme is that they're only going to allow you to parcel out monies to charities that um, they've confirmed are tax qualified. And that's, that's, never an issue. Most of them have long lists of all the most common charities that they've already vetted. If no one's ever given to your church or your university, for example, all they do is they just look up the tax ID. They do some verification on their end. But um, the DAFs typically will refer to your individual gifts to charities as grants. So when you want to make a grant to your charity, there's usually an online portal or you can call them and you can say, hey, I'd like you to send $100, $500, what have you, to XYZ, and then they handle it for you. So it can also be a really nice way for you to administratively streamline your giving. So not only are there tax benefits, you have this great portal where if you're gifting to multiple charities in one year, you know, you've already taken your tax deduction, you've gotten your donation receipt from the DAF, and then every time you give out, give money to your charity through these grants, let's say you give out 10 grants in a year, you don't have to worry about the receipts. Whereas previously, if you were giving to 10 individual charities in one year, you had to round up all those receipts for your tax return. Oh, that's neat. I really did not know that existed. Um, one of the charities I've been involved with, they really like to encourage, uh, they call it, I think, the Heritage Society, which is upon really your, your, your death that 
you're giving to them in securities or, or whatever, sort of, so you're, I don't know if you're even signing anything, but is there anything to that from an inheritance for your other heirs, if you're doing it that way, oh, then they get less? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I work in a very collaborative practice. We're always making sure we work with clients, CPAs, but we also work with their estate planning attorneys. And one thing that's been coming up a lot lately is, you know, what tax brackets are your heirs in? Um, with with inheriting IRAs in, um, from, you know, a parent, sibling, what have you, when it's a non-spousal inheritance, now you have to take those IRAs over 10 years. So it can be a heavy tax burden on someone. So with a lot of clients and their estate planning, we've actually been setting up the charities to receive proceeds from IRAs and leaving more tax advantaged assets to named individuals. So there, there are some really great planning opportunities from a tax and estate planning perspective. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think that leads into, I think, um, Marianne, one of the topics around IRAs, since we're talking about IRAs at this point, the qualified mm -hmm. charitable distribution, these QCDs. Um, so when should someone consider making those charitable, you know, doing it that way? And, and one of the questions I had as I was once again researching this morning, it, it doesn't seem that you could do that with a 401k, another drawback to leaving money in a 401k as opposed to having it in a self-directed IRA. And are there any limits on how much can be donated um, in a given year or over time? So it's really kind of three questions. What is a QCD? Can it be only, can it be used with 401ks or is it IRAs only? And, and what are the limits? Yeah, so QCDs are a really big topic with people in their 70s. So the qualified charitable distributions, like you said, they can only come from your IRAs. So if you've left your money, if you retired, you've left your money in your 401k, you cannot make a qualified charitable distribution. So you do need to roll it first to the IRA. And um, once you reach age 70 and a half, and this part is what really confuses people, because as we know, the required minimum distribution, the RMD age, got bumped up to 72. But they left the qualified charitable distribution age at 70 and a half. And starting on your 70 and a half birthday, you can't do it before, even if your you know, 70 and a half birthday is in December, you have to wait till that exact day. But at that, at that point, you can give up to $100,000 per year from your IRA to a charity. And you can do that tax-free. You don't pay any tax on the distribution so long as you send it directly to charity. You can't send it to a donor-advised fund. Well, you can, but you would have to pay taxes on it if you send a QCD to a donor-advised fund. But we've found that it is such a great planning tool because once you get to age 72, especially, you're going to have to take your required minimum distribution anyway. And if there's an amount that you're planning to give to charity, why not just peel that off the top of your RMD, pay out all your charities, not pay any income tax, and um, then you just take whatever you need, you know, your remainder RMD for your living expenses. And it can really help at that age um, for a lot of reasons. Um, 
you know, people in their 70s are all trying to watch their income just to make sure that their Medicare premiums don't go up. You know, there are those graded brackets, the IRMA, they call it, the income-related Medicare adjustment amount. If you can get your taxable income down, you can potentially save um, on your Medicare premiums and your taxes, obviously. And also, um, if anyone out there is listening that has an, what we call an estate tax problem, where you, you know, when you pass, your estate might be worth more than $12 million, this is also a way to get some money out of your estate. Wow. <laughs> Acronym soup this morning, but also some great education. It, it, it is. is really neat. That's the only thing I didn't know. That's why I love this podcast, Paul. I learn so much every week. Thank you. Thanks for including me in this. This is great. Um, Sorry, I just had to say that because it's great. Um, my my next one here is what are, what are some some of the common mistakes that investors make when gifting highly appreciated securities? Is is are there mistakes? There are there are mistakes, and that's why you always make sure you check in with a CPA. Um, I know that I sound a little bit like a broken record on the CPA piece, but a good CPA is worth their weight in gold and. One common mistake that some people make when they go to gift a highly appreciated security is they don't check to see whether or not the gain on the security is long-term or short-term. So if there is a long-term gain on the security, then you can deduct the full value, the full market value of the security when you make the gift. If the security has a short-term gain, so that means you've held the security a year or less you can actually only write off the cost basis. And in that case, it depending on your circumstances, it, it might not make sense to do that, that particular gift. I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, a lot of people don't know until they make that mistake. It's it's one of those little little known little known facts. And sometimes, you know, during tax season when CPAs are busy. People don't always reach out to ask. So I just encourage your listeners. We're recording this in the summer. I don't know when the listeners will be listening to this, but CPAs love to meet in the summer. Um, One of my favorite summertime activities with my clients is getting on the horn with their CPA and doing some tax planning. And that's where we learn some of these little, little tips and tricks. Yeah, that's interesting, Marianne, because I when I go to the gym, I used to run into some accountants that do it full time, right? That have a full practice. And um, between January 1 and typically May, they are full out swamped, right? And as you can imagine, mm-hmm. you know, March and April are miserable for them, right? <laughs> and then you know, I would always have these locker room conversations around that time. And then as soon as June hits, they're like, whew. Okay, now I can breathe, right? So to your point, that makes total sense um, that they get that little bit of a breather so they could concentrate on the work. But that's a great call out that you want to try to get to your CPA, you know, not during tax season. (laughs) If you got those critical questions, Mm -hmm. not that they would make a mistake or or anything like that, but just the fact that they are so busy and so overwhelmed with tax work. Um, it might be difficult to get their full undivided attention during that time. So it's a great call out. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask, and, and this is around the benefits of charitable giving. There are people out there 
that say, you know, uh, charity begins at home. I'm, I'm not going to donate. You know, there, there's all kinds of people that, you know, I don't want to say Scroogey. Maybe that's a, an acronym or a, 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 some sort of verb or um, what, what's the word? Adjective. That Not a verb, an adjective. <laughs> that they're, they're Scroogey. I'm just making this up. Um, and they don't want to give. But what are some of the benefits to giving to charity for those who are not charitably inclined? That's a great topic. And just, just to give you a story, um, you know, worked with a client a few years ago, husband and wife, they were having just the biggest income year. And they knew it was just going to be that particular year where their income was going to be so big, just to, you know, due to some stuff going on at work. And they were looking at ways to, to offset some of the income. So I went over all of their options with them. And when we got to the charitable giving option, you know, we talked about it and they're like, well, you know, we haven't really engaged in charitable giving and it, you know, it wasn't something they felt particularly strong about and it's, and, you know, it doesn't make them Scrooges or anything. They just mostly had been focused on building their family's assets so that there was a legacy for their children. And um, we talked about it and some of the advantages are, you know, you can use it to offset your income for the year. You can't offset all of your income. There are, there are limitations, but you know, it's, it's, it's a good tool. And um, one, one other way to look at it is if you've got kids and you're sending them, for example, to a private school, after you pay that private school tuition, those schools are always still looking for donations. So, so we found that the donor advised fund was a potential way for them to still keep that charity close to home, but also also offset their taxes. Um, another, another example of where you might give, even if you're not charitably inclined, or if you are, is if you had a big liquidity event. If you've sold a business, if you've sold some real estate, you know, real estate prices are through the roof right now. You know, people are selling, selling homes and realizing more gains above their, their exemption they get of $250,000 per person. So even though the charitable giving is an offset against your adjusted gross, in, gross income, it's still a way to get your taxes down in one area. You can't deduct it against a capital gain, but if you can get get some taxable income down on one side of the balance sheet, you know, every every little bit helps. Yeah, that that is that is interesting. And once again, it kind of goes back to what you said before in terms of getting your CPA engaged and your financial advisor and everyone working together on this stuff. Um, one of the things that came up in my mind when you were talking was a number of years ago, they changed the tax laws, and you were talking a little bit about um, the standard deduction. And I, anecdotally, I have a lot of friends that are taking the standard deduction now uh, because when the, um, the 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 what's the words I'm looking for the itemized was all about you know writing off mortgage interest expense and real estate taxes. I think those were the two big ones. Um, but in short, have you have you seen a lot of your clients? now taking the standard and in your opinion has that hurt has it helped is the standard deduction better than trying to deduct all the interest and the mortgage interest and the uh, taxes i'm just just something that's been in the back of my mind because kind of from a backyard barbecue perspective i've had these conversations with relatives and friends and some people see the standard deduction as an advantage and others see it as a disadvantage and i'm curious what your opinion is on that 
I know it's a little bit off topic. Yeah, it's definitely a, a relevant topic. And what it's done is it's sort of opened up new conversations and more options for folks. So there are certain states where property taxes are higher than others. And I think those are, those are the places where it hurts the most. Um, obviously the mortgage interest didn't get capped, but if you're not able to write off your full property taxes, it makes people reconsider whether or not it makes sense to own a home versus rent. So, so I, one of the big takeaways I've gotten from, from the tax and jobs cut act um, back when they increased the standard deduction and put this cap on the property tax is that, you know, it could become a lot more appealing for some people to rent if, if they're not going to realize that full benefit. And now, especially with soaring real estate prices, you know, renting, renting is a bit more appealing for some folks. Yeah, definitely. Cause they don't, they, they can't get the, uh, they don't, maybe don't have the down payment to, to make, to even get by something, let alone everything else. I think that's a whole separate topic we could talk about. I started to learn about, um, um, but at least to own. So it's a whole separate world where you can rent it, but sort of leasing it to own it and parts play apply to your down payment. And then you buy it outright with a predetermined price in a few years. Anyway, off topic. Sorry about that. I, I tend to do that. Back to the charity side here. I guess, you know, sometimes you see on TV in particular, there's one charity I see on TV a lot advertising, donate your cars, boats, anything or whatever. Uh, I think we probably all know the one I'm looking at, but how do you know a charity is really using a reasonable portion of the funds you're giving to do the work they say they're going to do? Yeah, so that's where your own personal due diligence come, comes into play. You know, you've got to do your research on the charity, see what you can find online about them, um, you know, talk to some references, speak to some folks at the charity. But that is, that is an unknown when you're giving, giving money to a charity that's, you know, a large national organization that's not as close to home. You know, you, we spoke about keeping charity close to home. If you're giving it to, you know, a college or a church, you have a pretty good idea of what it's being spent on. But you bring up a great point, Paul, that it's important to research where you're sending your money to just to make sure that, you know, it's not being spent on fancy shoes for the, you know, the leader, leader of the um, organization and that it is going to that, that cause that's so close to your heart. Yeah. I thought there was some sort of database somewhere or some sort of filing that they had to say how much of the funds are used versus the expenses. Is that part of their annual filing with the IRS? Do you know? Um, you know, I don't know offhand. I, I believe so. And there's a lot of information online. So I, I really recommend pulling that information up, scrutinizing it to the, to the degree that you want to until you get that information. Yeah, the starting need. point typically is a website called charitynavigator.org. Um, and they keep track of CEO salaries and, and percentage that goes to the charity. Um, so there are, there are watchdogs that are watching this very closely. Um, and, and to your point, Paul, you want to make sure that a good percentage 
is going to the cause and not to administrative overhead, like salaries and, and expenses and stuff like that. Um, so I think that's interesting. So I, I think that's what I've used in the past is charitynavigator.org. So people out there can check it. We'll put it on our, on our Facebook page and, uh, people can check it out and, and take a look. Um, one of the things we want to ask, um, Marianne is around, uh, another question would be around timing. So let's say someone has a good year, financially speaking, is it better to do a donation in that year to help offset the gains? Absolutely. So if you're having a big year, that's, you know, that's a year where you might want to employ the bunching strategy because you can, you can offset some of your income. So just so your readers, I'm sorry, readers, listeners are aware when you're gifting securities, you can only write off or deduct up to 30% of your adjusted gross income. So I don't want anyone, want anyone out there thinking they can just wash out a whole year's income with securities. There are limits to it. If you're gifting cash, you can gift up to 60% of your adjusted gross. And if you do give, you know, if you accidentally give more than you can deduct in one year, there is a carry forward provision it's only for five years though. So that sort of goes back to mistakes. You know, if you're given like a huge mega gift, um, just make sure you're not giving away more than you can absorb on your returns over five years. But absolutely timing, timing is everything. That's why you meet with your trusted advisors to make sure that you're taking advantages of, of these opportunities to do do things to offset income when you're having a big year so i i have one more one it's a, it is a bit of a silly one maybe but that's uh, i'm good at that so say you have a, a car or, or something like that and you just you don't need any more so your options are you could sell it or you can gift it to a charity somehow i don't know how that actually works is there any advantage to doing one over the other do they look at the the blue book value, if you will, for the, for that asset. And that's how you can write off or do you know? Yeah, so for, for writing, writing it off and assigning a value, it really ends up being between you and your accountant and how much they're going to, going to let you write off with a car because a car is a depreciating asset. You're not necessarily worried about paying a capital gain when you're selling a car. So I'm guessing I'm not a car gal, but I'm guessing there aren't many car sales out there that result that result in a capital gain. So with a car, I don't think it matters much each either way. But um, one thing to keep in mind is, you know, if if you've got a lot of extra cars, I know families once their kids have left the nest, sometimes they're left with you know five cars in the driveway and donating a car could be a way to reduce your overhead because you're eliminating insurance payments on that car. You're eliminating um, property tax if you live in a state where you have to pay property tax every year on your car. So a car, donating a car is a good way to just reduce some of your family's overhead, some of the budget. Cool. Thank you. And, and I guess uh, any last words on, on, on this topic? Sure. So I think that charitable giving is is a really great way to leverage some of your existing assets. If you think of 
a lot of people out there who work for companies that have maybe given them stock over the years. You know, you may you may have highly appreciated assets that you haven't thought of through your stock options. And one thing I've noticed in my work, um, I'm proud that I serve people of all political beliefs. And one thing I want to let all the listeners know is nobody likes paying taxes. <laughs> Republicans don't like paying taxes. Democrats don't like paying taxes. Nobody likes to pay taxes. So if you have some causes that are important to you and you're looking for ways to get your tax bill down or avoid taxes, you know, look at, look at some charitable giving and talk to a financial advisor and a tax professional to see how it can yeah, benefit thanks, you. Yeah, thanks, Marianne. And that leads into kind of the summary recap that we always like to do. And, and, you know, I'll start and then Paul, and then we'll let you kind of give any kind of plugs and, and anything to kind of, if, you know, let people know where they can find you. Um, for me, um, what resonated was how important it is uh, to build that proper team around you. Um, we, this has come up on several episodes recently, Marianne, where, you know, between an attorney, a CPA, a financial advisor, a real estate agent, you want to have that right team in place that you implicitly trust to really help you navigate these waters. Because there's so many things out there that if people think they could do it completely on their own, I guess they could try. But more often than not, they could run into mistakes unless you're uh, like my financial superhero who probably doesn't have any of those, right? <laughs> he maybe has an attorney, everything else he does on his own. Uh, but, but for the most of the people out there, the 95% of the population, they should be working with people like yourself. Um, and you said it earlier, uh, you're worth your weight in gold in terms of to your customers and to your clients. So I think that's important. Um, the other thing from a takeaway is I would love to have you at one of my backyard barbecues to talk about the standard deduction thing. It keeps coming up. And I, and once again, it is politically charged um, for, for various reasons. And um, it, I loved your perspective on it. You said it more eloquently than I could. And then the last piece is this charitynavigator.org. Um, I posted it on our Facebook page so people can check it out. So if you have a favorite charity, um, you could check out the percentages that actually go to helping the charity and not to administrative overhead. Uh, Paul, what were your takeaways for today? So uh, a couple things. Uh, one, the DAF, the donor advised funds, I had no idea. Um, IRA donations, doing it that way. Again, no idea you could do some of this stuff. So that's really neat. And I think Marianne solved the, the, the world there, right? She figured out a way where Republicans and Democrats see eye to eye. And I think that's pretty impressive. No one likes to pay taxes. <laughs> you know, I, I live just outside of D.C., so maybe next week I need to drive down and, and introduce that idea there you go. talk to my It's all about the money, people. right? Even when you're solving <laughs> problems for anything, just follow the money sometimes. And, and that'll tell you why a business decision was made or, or whatever reason. It, a lot of it comes down to that. So great point. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Marianne, we'll give you the last word. Where can people find you? Any final takeaways? And then we'll, we'll wrap up. Sure, sure. So the takeaway is, you know, just make sure you meet with your CPA and your financial advisor this summer. And you can find me at www.bedenwealth.com. That's B-E-D-E-N wealth.com. Or you can look me up on LinkedIn and drop me a line okay, there. Great. Well, thank you very much, Marianne. It's always a pleasure having you back on the show. And, and uh, it was awesome to catch up today. So thank you for that. 
Um, well, Paul and Marianne, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you. Thank <laughs> you.